you'll take your Bible, turn with me to the Old Testament book of Psalms, Psalm 73 tonight. Thank you for standing your ground tonight by being faithful to your place. Thank you for being in church tonight. There's so many things I'd like to say this evening. Boy, I tell you what, time would fail us just me running my mouth. But I don't think I've ever been here without talking about the bus ministry. Thank you for running buses. Amen. That's how I got my wife. Some of you may not know me. Some of you may not know that. I told preacher just a little bit ago, Connie, wasn't that fellowship hall just beautiful on uh, June the 7th, 1997? Wasn't it gorgeous? Sure was. Wasn't this building beautiful that day? Brother Ornick, the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life, come walking down that aisle. June 7th, 1997, I thank the Lord that uh, you guys raised her for me, at least helped, amen? And uh, you guys got uh, Brianna, Nathan, and Caleb, amen, but you guys got Barb and Steve too, oh boy. <laughs> amen. Y'all didn't intend on that, did you? <laughs> didn't know what you was getting there, did you? That's what the bus ministry is all about, amen? Amen, it's about reaching families for the cause of Christ, and I'm thankful because the bus ministry... Not only in this church, not only did uh, Steve and Barb, uh, are they members here and uh, Steve come to trust Christ because of the influence that you've had on Shelly and uh, also um, Steve's mother, Shelly's grandmother, uh, trusted Christ as her Savior and all that because of the constant influence of the Lord working in their life. And uh, we're thankful for that. Just keep on keeping on. Stand your ground. Boy, I tell you what, we're doing exactly what you trained my wife to do about 20 or 30, no, about 30 plus years ago, all right? As a 10-year-old girl, we're doing just exactly what you trained her to do, just keeping on, keeping on, and staying the course, trying to stay faithful to the Lord. God doesn't change. You know, I wish the world would get the message. I wish the church would get the message that God's immutable. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not changing. All the church is changing like crazy, but He's not. He's the same. I wish you'd get that message. Psalm 73 this evening. I've got two messages. I'm going to preach both of them in 20 minutes. I'll be finished with both of them. You listen quick and I'm going to preach quick. Now, here's what's going to happen. I've got six things I want to share with you. And really, that's two messages in one. And what they are is uh, important things that I hope that you'll take with you tonight. But you're not going to get them unless you're writing them down because you have to go back and think about them, all right? I'm not going to be able to talk about them in detail, but I'd like for you to get your pen out, get your paper out. I want to give you six things I hope will be a blessing to you. Let's look in Psalm 73. I want to read to you just a few key verses, and then we'll read the rest of the psalm in just a little bit. But uh, verse 1, the Bible says, Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such are as of a clean heart. Isn't that a blessing? Now I want you to look with me at verse 27. For lo... They that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. Notice verse 28. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord, God, that I may declare all thy works. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I need your blessings. This psalm in verse 27 and 28 has two key words, and I hope that you underline them. As we look at verse 27, would you take your pen and mark in your Bible these two words in verse 27, one word, you'll find the word, for lo, they that are far. Would you mark the word far? We're far from home tonight. It takes us about five hours to get back to our home in West Virginia. God says, for lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. Then notice verse 28, there's another word I'd like for you to mark. The Bible says, 
But it is good for me to draw near. Would you mark that word near? For it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. If you'll remember, we read verse 1 and it begins with the goodness of God. This psalm begins and ends with the goodness of the Lord. Aren't you glad that God's goodness is everywhere? We understand that the goodness of the Lord is what leads us to repentance. You know, if it were my thinking, it would be His justice or His judgment, His wrath or something like that. Maybe His cursings or His chastisement, but no. God has chosen to use His goodness to bring us to repentance. That's what the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. The Bible says, Or despisest thou the riches of His goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Aren't you glad that in our song, Joy to the World, He rules the world with what? Bombs and grenades? <laughs> Missiles and jets? Nuclear bombs and all types of machinery? No. Grace and truth. Isn't that great? He rules the world with grace and truth. I'm glad for God's goodness. I'm thankful for it. I'm glad God uses that. I, my life is run on His grace. And I, if it weren't for His grace, none of us would be here. And I'm thankful for all of it. I'm thankful for the way that God has blessed me. This is a beautiful psalm. And I, I want to share with you some, uh, some problems that come about in the life of a believer that chooses to live far from God. And I want to share with you some benefits. I want to share with you three problems, but then I want to share with you the three benefits of living near or close to God. Now, the truth of the matter is this psalm really sums up every Christian. Every child of God is in one of two situations. They're either far from God or they're near to the Lord. Where are you at tonight? You say, Brother Fred, I'm right here at Calvary Chapel Baptist Church. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I didn't ask you where you were at. I'm asking you where are you at? Not physically, but spiritually. Where are you at with the Lord? Your body may be in a place of worship. Your body may be in a religious building. You may even have some beautiful clothes on tonight. You may be dressed and you might have the apparel on that, wait a minute, you're a great Christian. But you're in one of two categories. You're either far from God on the inside or you're near to God on the inside. In this psalm, you'll find that there's a turning point. If you'll look in verse 17, the Bible says this, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. In Psalm, 7, or psalm 73 and verse 17, you'll find that this turning point is so critical. It's a, it's a, it's a point where uh, this man has an understanding. It's a critical understanding. And he understands that there's, there's a critical mistake that is made by being far away from God. Let me share with you the problems that are associated with being far away from God. You know, as a Christian, I don't want to be far from the Lord. You know, to be honest about it, if you're saved and on your way to heaven, the Holy Spirit of God lives within you, and His Spirit is bearing witness with your spirit, and the Spirit of God, no matter how far you are away from Him, if you're truly saved and you're truly on your way to heaven, the Spirit of God is ministering to your heart saying, look, you need to get closer to me. When you sin against the Lord as a Christian, you can't help but uh, have the Holy Spirit of God, even though your conscience may be seared, you have the Holy Spirit of God saying deep within inside of you, you're not right. You're sinning against me. You're sinning against the cross that I bled and died on. You're sinning against the blood that was shed for your soul. As a child of God, you can't get away from the voice of the Holy Spirit. 
And there's some problems that are created, great problems that are created by being far from the Lord. Would you look with me at verse 2? You'll see the first problems. The Bible says in verse 2, it says, But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to the point where you just about fell, but not quite? Then the Bible says in verse 3, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then verse 4, For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. I'll stop reading there with uh, verse 4. And I want you to think about this. Would you jot it down? Number 1, here's the first problem that's associated with being far from God. is Those that are far from God, and that's how each of these points will begin. Those that are far from God are in danger of a disgraceful fall. Let me say... That as a child of God, God allows certain things into our life. And, you know, He's not above allowing one of His children to fall so that we'd realize, wait a minute, we need to turn to the Lord and ask for His help. I think that uh, there's been many times that I look in uh, my life as a Christian and I realize that, wait a minute, I've displeased the Lord in a great way and He's allowed me to fall flat on my bottom or even fall flat on my face. But here's what happens as a child of God. It's not only going to be disgrace for you personally, but it will cause disgrace for the cause in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse number 2, you'll see that their feet almost slipped. They had almost fell. And then notice the mistake that they make in verse 3. It says, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. See, uh, when you're far away from God, you're going to make the great mistake. Uh, You're going to have the great danger of a disgraceful fall. Here's what I found in the Christian life. I found that there's so many Christians, I'm not talking about the lost, I'm talking about God's children, that because they refuse to get right with God, they refuse they refuse to walk with God. They refuse to pray. They refuse to read God's Word. They refuse to live the Christian life. Not just call themselves a Christian, but actually be true Christians. Boy, they have such a disgraceful fall. And it's so embarrassing. And it may not even be an embarrassment to them personally, but boy, it sure is an embarrassment to the cause of Christ. Man, I've watched so many people that live their life away from God. And people look at them, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you went to so-and-so church. And let me say, if you're going to walk far away from God, you're in danger of a disgraceful fall. You're going to cause and you're going to hurt the cause of Christ. Uh, The second one, would you jot this down? Those that are far from God are deceived about the future. They're deceived about the future. Notice what, I want to read to you this lengthy passage now, all the way through verse 14. Notice again in verse 4. Notice how this man perceives the future. Notice Asaph, he was one of the music leaders under King David. And and, and he wrote this, and this may have been for David, or David may have wrote this for himself, but notice what it says. It says, for uh, there are no bands in their death. That means there's no pain in their death. But their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. He's talking about the wicked. There's no pain in their death. They're not troubled like us Christians are. They're not plagued like we are. It seems like as a child of God, everything that I touch goes wrong. In verse 6, Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Notice this about the lost. It says their eyes stand out with fatness. Aren't they just so blessed because they're not saved? Aren't they so blessed because they don't have to go to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night? Aren't they so blessed because they don't have to pay their tithe? Aren't they so blessed because they don't have to give to missions? Their eyes stand out with fatness. 
They have more than heart could wish. Oh, they have so much time to go to the lake and ride on their boats. They have so much time to do all their leisure activities. They have so much time to enjoy the lifestyle that they choose. They're corrupt. They speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak lawfully. They set their mouth against the heavens. And their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither. And waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how doth God know? And is there any knowledge in the Most High? God doesn't even know what I'm doing here. God doesn't even recognize the sacrifices that I'm making. God doesn't even see the time that I'm investing into the ministry. God doesn't even realize how much it's really costing me to serve Him. The heavens are blind to the work that I'm doing for God. Verse 12. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Notice verse 13. For verily I have cleansed my heart in vain. Look, it's, it's profit for me, profitless for me to spend so much time reading my Bible. It doesn't help. It's profitless for me to spend so much time praying. It doesn't help. It doesn't help for me to go to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. It doesn't help for me to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much more as the day is approaching. It doesn't help. It's not prospering me to live this kind of life, to be this kind of Christian. It's not helping me. Barely I've cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. Verse 14. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. Oh God, if He's a real God in heaven, if it really paid to be a Christian, boy, I'd have God's blessings on my life. I wouldn't face so many troubles. Everything I touched wouldn't break. Every situation in life wouldn't be just a heartache. If there was really a God in heaven, it, to be honest about it, let's just live like the devil. Let's live like the world's crowd because they're blessed abundantly. Let me tell you something. When you live far from God, that's exactly how you think. That's exactly how you, th that's exactly how you talk. Those that are far from God are deceived about the future. They think that, wait a minute. All that matters is right now. All they can see is this far in front of their face. They can't see. They don't understand that those wicked are going to spend eternity in hell. They don't understand that the path that they're on is going to lead to eternal destruction. They don't understand those that are far from God. They don't understand that the path they're on is going to be rewarded and when they get to heaven. They don't understand they have no foresight whatsoever that God's going to use them and bless them in a mighty way if they'll stay faithful. Those that are far from God, they're so deceived about the future. They think it's all about now. In verse 4 they said the lost they face a painless death. They just live and then immediately they die. They think that the lost have a less difficult life in verse number 5. Check it out. They think that the lost is all about what can be flaunted or uh, some type of prompt, uh, prideful necklace that can go around their neck. You'll see it clearly in verse 6. Verse 7, you'll see nothing about them gloating about all the riches they have. It's kind of like King Minus. Everything they touch turns to gold. All they can see is verse 8, them speaking oppressively against the child of God and against the worker and the soul winner. Verse 9, they speak out against God. They, they uh, lie and they boast and they blaspheme in the very face of God. And it seems as if it costs them nothing. 
In verse 10, you'll see that the tears flow freely from the eyes of the righteous. But wait a minute, where's the weeping of the wicked? And in verse 11, you'll see in these following verses that this, they believe that their deeds are unseen in heaven. Dear child of God, if you've got that mentality, let me say that's a problem that's produced by living far away from God. Dear friend, if you have those thoughts that course through your mind, if you have that mentality and outlook about the Christian life, it's all a result of you living a long way away from God's presence. Let me give you a third one. Those that are far from God are deprived of fellowship. They're deprived of fellowship. Look with me in verse 15. And we'll look at the this verse of transition, verse 15, the Bible says, If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. I'm going to explain these verses in just a moment. But look closely at verse 17. It says, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Verse 18, Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Finally, wait a minute, the light's coming on. Finally, after verse 17, after he's been in the sanctuary with the Lord, after he saw the Lord Jesus Christ face to face, after he has a glimpse of the holiness of God, after he understands who God truly is, then the light comes on in verse 18. He begins to talk about the wicked and says, Surely thou didst set them in a slippery place. Thou cast them down into destruction. Oh, wait a minute. They're not blessed. Oh, wait a minute. Their end is not just prosperous. They're headed to destruction. They're headed to eternal hell. Finally, the light clicked on. Verse 19, how are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they're utterly consumed with tears. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Wait a minute, the tide's been turned. There's an enlightenment that's took place. And it's the heart of the reason why God's children are so far away from Him. Now I've given you just a few descriptions of what it's like or some problems that are associated with being far from God. Number one, they're in danger of a disgraceful fall. Number two, they're deprived of fellowship. And number, uh, I'm sorry, they're deceived about the future. Number two, and then number three, they're deprived of fellowship. And that's the bottom line. Someone who is far from God is deprived of fellowship. Did you write that down? Now listen, I feel like I'll be able to help you tonight if you'll just get this thought. If you're far from God tonight, you're deprived of fellowship. I wonder if I could say that any other way to make it clear. If you are far from God tonight, your spiritual soul is longing on the inside for one thing, and that's fellowship with God Almighty. You want something on the inside that this world cannot quench. You want something as a child of God that this world cannot, if it desired to, could not offer. Your soul wants fellowship with God. A child of God is number one plea is more of thee, more of my Savior, more of my Redeemer, more of my God, more of my Messiah, more of my Jesus. 
And let me say, when you're far from God, you're depriving your soul. Your soul is dried up. Your soul is in a miserable state because it's deprived of fellowship. Oh, we get things so confused. We get things so mixed up. I'm not talking about church attendance. And that's not what he's talking about in verse 17. It says, until I went to the sanctuary of God. In other words, when I went to church on Sunday morning, that's not what he's talking about. Now, there's a lot more than that. Listen, you can come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, every day of your life and still be a million miles away from God. You can buy the fanciest clothes and fix your hair. Boy, I wish I could. You can fix your hair in the nicest way possible and still be a million miles from God. Doesn't have anything to do with what you look like. Doesn't have anything to do with where you've been. It has to do with one thing, and that's your nearness to God. It has to do with one thing, and that's your fellowship with your Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, I get so tired of things. You know, we've designed, I'm talking about we, I'm talking about the modern day church's design, the church to be Christless. I'm talking about the Christian life to be operated without God. You know what the definition of ungodly is? It doesn't mean we're involved in all the things of this world, all the wickedness of this world. It doesn't mean that we participate in all the evil deeds of this world. Now, of course, that's ungodly. But ungodly for the Christians, this is when we don't involve God. Let me ask you something. How long has it been since you've been at church and involved God? How long has it been since you walked through the back door of this building and really asked and prayed and begged God to meet with you and speak to your heart and deal with you? It's a dangerous thing that we do. We attend church, but there's no fellowship there. We serve the Lord, but there's no fellowship there. Would you jot this thought down? What we do for God grows out of our worship to Him. Because we worship the Lord, because we walk with the Lord, then we desire to serve Him. But that's, it's backwards in this hour in which we live. We do what we do just because we're... Wait a minute, watch this. Christians. You know, Christians are the furthest thing from Christians when we don't have Christ involved. When Christ, is, when Christ is not a million miles from us, then it's not Christian. It's Christless. We have an improper view of the wicked. We have an improper view of the unrighteous until we have the right fellowship with God. When we fellowship with the Lord, when we see God for who He is, then wait a minute, He changes our mind about the wicked. Oh, wait a minute, it's not so attractive. When we see God for who He truly is, and when we fellowship with Him, and when we pray with Him until He speaks to our heart and deals with us, wait a minute, everything in life seems unimportant except for Him. How long has it been since you've prayed and really got a hold of God? I'm talking about how long has it been since you've bowed your head in prayer and not raised your head until God's dealt with you? How long has it been since you've shed a single tear, shed a single tear over a sin in your life? How long has it been, dear friend, since your heart's been right with God? Those that are far from God are deprived of fellowship. You find that in these verses. Let me move on now very quickly, and I'm out of time already, but I want to share with you these three things. pastor said I could have an hour or two. Here's the fourth thing. Now that he saw the Lord, now that he has a clear understanding of who God is, things have changed. 
And now, I want you to write this down. Those that are near to God. (laughs) Those that are near to God are distraught and distressed over the foolish. (laughs) Let me tell you the reason why people don't have a love for the lost. They're far from God. Let me tell you the reason why we don't want to go soul winning. You're far from God. Let me tell you the reason why we don't care about our neighbors going and dying and spending eternity in a place called hell. It's because we're not near to God. Let me tell you the reason why we could care less about the world around us perishing and the reason why souls are dying by the tens of millions around the world because we're far from God. Because here's what I found. Brother Warnick, am I right when I say this? Every true man of God that I've ever met Every true man of God that I've ever laid my eyes on or I've shook his hand, every true man of God that loves Jesus Christ and is trying to serve God with all their heart, soul, and strength have been distressed and distraught over lost souls. Have you ever met a man of God? Have you truly ever met a man of God that is not distressed over the lost? I haven't. Listen, one of the great indicators that we're near to God is that we're distressed or distraught over the souls of the foolish. <laughs> it's, what a change. What a change. We looked in uh, verse number uh, 3. Look again at verse number 3. Look how things change. It says, for I was envious at the foolish. I was envious. Now, look with me at verse 18. Look at his attitude now. Surely thou didst stick them in a slippery place. Thou castest down into... Thou, Castest them down into destruction. Look at verse 19. How are they brought into destruction? As in a moment, they're utterly consumed with tears. Oh no, God, you're destroying them. Oh no, dear God, they're slipping out into eternity. They're no more envious of the wicked. Once you see God, once you fellowship with God, once you get back to where you need to be with God, once you're close to God, wait a minute, you become distraught over the souls of men. Give you the next one. Those that are near to God, would you jot this down? Have discerned their own failures. They understand. Wait a minute, look at verse 2. He says, But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. He's reflecting on the fact that, wait a minute, he's coming into the presence of the Lord and things have changed. Now look at verse 22. He says, So foolish was I. So foolish was I. Would you underline that and mark it in your Bible? So foolish was I. And ignorant, I was, or, as a be, or I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I'm continually with thee. Thou holdest me by my right hand. Would you, would, would you look at this? Wait a minute. Connie and Chris, they got some cows. You know what cows do? They're always eating like this. You ever seen a cow doing like this? Chris? Connie? You ever have one? I mean, just now I'm not talking about just once or twice. I'm talking about all the time. I'm talking about all the time. You ever had a cow do that? No. Cows don't do that. I mean, it'd, be, it'd have mad cow disease. Y'all think I got mad cow disease. Y'all think I got something wrong with me. Now I want you to see something. He says, I'm a, as a beast before, what's a beast do? He sits there and he looks down all the time. He never looks toward heaven. Never looks up. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. How long has it been since you looked up? 
How long has it been since you quit eating grass for 10 seconds and said, thank you, Jesus? How long has it been since you said for just a minute, hold on a minute, I'm not going to eat grass for just a little bit. I'm just going to look up and praise my Redeemer. I'm going to say, glory to God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for my home in heaven. How long has it been since you took, took a, a, a breath from just eating the hay for just a second? How long has it been since you looked up? How long has it been since you got your head up off the grass? Thank you, Lord. You've been so good to me. Thank you, God. You say, man, let me tell you something. You're not going to see a beast doing that. And that's what he's saying. We're just like a beast. Boy, I tell you what, if we're ever going to be near to God, we're going to have to realize that our sins are keeping us from being right with Him. We're going to have to realize that our sins are separating us from God and we need to be right with Him. Here's the last one. And this is the best one. I love it. I wish I had the exact same amount of time to do it over again. Look at verse 24 through 28. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterwards receive me to glory. Notice what it says in verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but thee? Whom have I in heaven but thee? And I know your heart might race right now, Christy, your mommy and daddy. But don't let it go there just now. To be honest about it, when it comes to our souls, when it comes to our eternal, everlasting life, we can only ask one question. Whom have I in heaven but thee? Notice, and there's none upon the earth that I desire besides thee. I look around, I look at my wife and my children, I love them. I look around and I look at you and I love you. But look what this verse says. He says, there is none upon the earth that I desire but thee. It's all that matters is Christ. My flesh and my heart faileth. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My last point is this. Those that are near to God declare His faithfulness. They declare His faithfulness. You know, I've been around a lot of people that love the Lord. I've been around some old timers, brother. I've been around some people that love Jesus and they've influenced me. And you know what I find people that are close to God doing? They're not griping and complaining about their troubles. They're not cursing God and cursing those that are around them. Those that are near to God, here's what they're doing. They're saying, wait a minute, things might be hard, but let me tell you about my God, He sure is faithful. Let me tell you about how good He is. Let me tell you about how wonderful He is. Oh, I wish I could spend some more time here, but we'll move on. Do you know you can't be near and far at the same time? And you know there's no middle ground. Tonight you're in one of two places. You're either near to God or far from God. Near to God or far from God. Let me give you a verse. Psalm 34 and verse 18, the Bible says this, The Lord is nigh, He's close unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such that are of a, be of a contrite spirit. You know what? God wants us to be broken so He can fix us. God wants us to have a broken heart over our sin. God wants us to be brokenhearted over our sin. The Bible says in Psalm 145, verse 18, and I'm finished. Brother Warnock, would you come? The Bible says the Lord is nigh to all them that call upon Him. All them that call upon Him in truth. 
Let me ask you something tonight, dear church. Would you stand to your feet?